Marvelites, you are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 357. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Marvel's Agent M, and we are joined by a special co-host this week. It's Mr. Ricky Purden. Hello. <laughs> uh, I'm Ricky Purden. I'm the talent manager at Marvel. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's been a while. You've been on the show before, but never yeah. in this space, in this format. No, this room is huge. You guys should see it. Can I see it? You guys should see it. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very excited you're on the show with me this week. Thank you for doing this. Uh, yeah. And if you're wondering where uh, Jamie Freverly is, she's out on field assignment this week. Do not fret. She will be back. Fun stuff this week. Top news is, of course, that we are celebrating Jack Kirby's birthday across Marvel.com, Marvel Woo! social media, and here on This Week in Marvel, he would have been 101 years old, Ricky. Yes, that's crazy. I was just thinking yesterday, we went out to celebrate his birthday yesterday. We being- Yeah, like, I went out with like Nick Lowe and Chris Robinson, some more people from editorial, and we were talking about it, and I was like, 101 years old, like, he was b born before the 1900s? And then I was like, right, we're in 2018. So it's not before the 1900s. I'm dumb. But yes, we went out last night to celebrate him and talk about our first Kirby comics and like what we thought of him when we were kids and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It, was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, that would have been, his birthday would have been on August 28th. Yep. But we've been doing stuff all week long. And for our part here on the show, we're doing Jack Kirby A to Z, talking about 26 Kirby creations, ideas, connections, fun stuff. And that'll be later in the show. I... I'm very excited. Yes. Um, I specifically wanted you to be here with, with me to talk about this because you love Jack Kirby's work yes. a, a ton and working ton. with artists. I think it, it means a lot. Our interview this episode will be with Shannon and Dean Hale, writers of Unbeatable Squirrel Girl novels, including the amazingly titled Too Fuzzy, Too Furious. <laughs> uh, right? It's so good. Yeah. Uh, like the, they like were, the twos in there, the number twos. Just yeah. sells it. They were a blast to chat with. And that leads me to another bit of top news. We have a Facebook page. <laughs> we did it. We were, we were back in 2008. We did finally. it. That's great. It's facebook.com slash this week in Marvel. Uh, I'll be posting exclusive things to that page and getting into the comments and replies as much as I can. So please like and follow that page and feel free to send questions and comments for us to share on the show through that channel as well. I've been posting like little pieces of art to it cool. and uh, I want to keep doing it. So yeah. it's fun. Uh, and then now on to things that were hyped about this week, comma, including news. <laughs> you like Can that? we talk about this? Can we talk about this? <laughs> uh, up on the PlayStation blog, my now not bearded friend, I just saw him an hour ago. He used to have a beard and long hair. He doesn't anymore. James Stevenson, community director for Insomniac Games. He wrote a bit about the DLC, which is... Oh, downloadable, downloadable content. content. Wom, 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 wom. Exactly. That's coming for Marvel Spider-Man. and So cool. It's called Marvel Spider-Man, The City That Never Sleeps. And there are three DLC chapters, the first of which hits PS4 on October 23rd. Whoa. And that one is actually called Marvel Spider-Man, The Heist. <laughs> uh, and then November, uh, we see the release of Marvel Spider-Man Turf Wars and Marvel Spider-Man Silver Lining coming in December. Full details on the PlayStation blog, and we'll link to it in the article and show notes. Uh, Ricky, here's a piece of comics news I wanted to talk about, especially with you here. Yes. Being the manager of talent relations and working with so many of our artists and creators, we've got these Defender stories coming in December. Yep, yep, yep. They're, they're all one-shots, but they also all link together to tell one story. Um, kind of masterminded uh, you know, by Tom Brevoort, executive editor, 
And Al Ewing is the writer who's kind of uh, bookending it. He starts the, the event and he ends it with a one shot. And in between, there's a bunch of different writers and artists, up and comers, older artists, people who are returning after being gone for a while. And even one guy who's writing it and drawing it, Jason Latour, is, he's writing and drawing his own Silver Surfer issue, which would be pretty cool. He's great, incredible. Yeah, it's funny because he's a writer. He's also an artist, obviously. But he's a writer. And so he's worked with lots of different artists. And so when we talked about this book, like, who would you like to see draw it? He was kind of like, the only person who can draw it is me. That's a good Jason impression. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. And and the rest of the books are also awesome. There's they focus on the original Defenders team, which is Namor, Hulk, Silver Surfer, and Doctor Strange. And then there's one one shot that includes all of them, the entire Defenders team together. Like I said, Al Ewing, Chip Zdarsky's doing the Namor one. Jerry Dugan's doing the Doctor Strange one, which should be fun. Jason's doing the Silver Surfer one. Al is doing the Hulk and the Defenders one shots. And then uh, the artists. Yeah, so, which is because a couple of these names I'm not super familiar sure, with. Yeah. And I figured you probably helped find these artists, right? Yeah. Yeah. The the Immortal Hulk one, uh, the artist is Simone DeMeo. Simone did uh, the Old Man Logan Annual, which just came out. Fantastic art, really kinetic. And, and he's, he's young. I met him at a, at a show in Italy. And then Namor is by Carlos Magno. Carlos is a longtime comic book artist. He's been around for a while. He was here at one point. He's, this is him coming back. It's beautiful. It's illustrative. So it, it, it feels like there's a lot of weight to it, even though it's underwater. So the, the artist on Doctor Strange is Greg Smallwood. He's no stranger to Marvel fans. He did. I like uh, what you did there. Yeah. No stranger to Marvel fans. <laughs> he worked on Moon Knight with Jeff Lemire, and he's done a million covers for us. He's a fantastic artist. And then the last issue, the, the, the wrap-up, the Defenders issue by Al Ewing, is by regular Al Ewing Hulk artist Joe Bennett. Joe is so fast he can do two books a month. It's insane. The thing that I love about Joe right now is he is like a different artist than he was 10 years. Even five or six years ago. ago. Yeah, it's crazy. He is on another level. Yeah. He's so good. And I didn't realize he was that fast. Super prolific. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. I I saw him at a show in Brazil in December and he had just like five inch stacks of original pages and he draws on these giant boards too. So it's not like it's even, he's drawing small or anything. They're huge and they're beautiful. But Can you buy me one? Yes. Okay. I'll buy three. Cool. I appreciate it. Marvel's Iron Fist is warming up for its second season exclusively on Netflix. And we have a look at the high level stunt work you'll see on September 7th. Visit marvel.com to see a teaser of what you can expect this season with stunt coordinator Clayton Barber and... Also, we've got an interview with showrunner Raven Metzner coming to This Week in Marvel really soon. Super psyched for you guys to see everything about this season. To honor 10 years of filmmaking at Marvel Studios starting August 30th and running through September 6th, all 20 films spanning the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe will be returning to theaters for the Marvel Studios 10th Anniversary Film Festival. You can purchase tickets at fandango.com slash Marvel Studios 10, now on sale. The first five days of the Marvel Studios 10th Anniversary Film Festival will show all 20 films in release order, followed by two theme days centering around origins and team-ups. The film festival will conclude on the morning of September 6th with two films chosen especially by the fans. Did you guys know, though, you know, I know you're getting excited. Did you know that you can also submit your film festival tickets for points and redeem for epic rewards at Disney Movie Rewards? Sign up now at DisneyMovieRewards.com to start. Before we get on to our Jack Kirby A to Z, we also want to send our condolences to the family of artist Russ Heath. Russ worked prolifically for Marvel during the Atlas era in the 50s with tons of cover art and and plenty of interior art. I very specifically remember a story he did in one of the Orson Randall Iron Fist specials uh, in about 2008. It's just like Orson Randall, he's in uh, Wild West Town, and we have a piece that writer Jim Beard put together about Russ's work and his career and his life on Marvel.com. As, a, as someone who looks at artists, I mean, I'm sure 
you saw a lot of artists who were talking about the influences of of Russ Heath, but you know we've also seen Steve Ditko lately. Yeah, yeah. He Russ had like this fine line kind of approach to the comics that he did, especially in his later years, that was mostly a, a comics approach that was European, right? And so there were a handful of American artists who recognized that his skill was deceptively simple. Like it, it, it looked like he was kind of placing lines in a simple order to create his, his art, but there was a lot of thought in the textures and the lighting and in the mood and the body language of his characters. It really, it really felt like you were seeing him draw from live figures. So I think the last longer form thing he did might've been with Wildstorm maybe a couple of years before the Iron Fist book, but he was still going to conventions. Yeah. He was still meeting fans. Uh, he was still drawing in, in into his old age, which was great. Amazing. Yep. All right, now, Kirby A to Z. First things first, this is not a comprehensive list of all things <laughs> Kirby ever did. After I was starting to put this together, I realized I could easily do this every year for multiple <laughs> years and make completely different lists. Yeah. Second, this is about Jack Kirby. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you get up and walk away. Oh, wait, what am I here for? <laughs> yeah. But he worked with so many amazing collaborators over his career. Stan Lee, Dick Ayers, Joe Simon, yep. so many. But I won't really be mentioning them that much in the context here. I make a point of saying that because, especially with Stan Lee, there's so much here that's because of their work together. Correct. And I do not want y'all listening to think I'm neglecting anyone. Sure, sure. This right. is a celebration of Jack. Exactly. Yeah. Now, let's get into it. A is for Atlas Comics. Boo, 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 boo. Your lips made a, like a, a, a movement, but was, no sound happened? I was going to do a rap horn, and then I didn't know when to do it. But yeah, Atlas Comics. That's where it's at. <laughs> Atlas is the pre-Fantastic Four, pre-Marvel Comics era of the company in the 50s yeah. and into the beginning of the 60s, in which we did tons of genre comics, including so many cool monster books. Yes. You got The Colossus. Yep. Gratu, King of the Insects. Gorgola. <laughs> fin Fang Foom shows up first there. Yeah. Which makes me so I have a Fin Fang Foom tattoo, so it's magic. Yeah, the the Atlas stuff did go straight from Atlas to Marvel. It was timely Atlas Marvel. Timely Atlas Marvel. Okay. Yeah. Tam. Tam. Ah, I beat you to it. <sighs> All right. B is for Black Panther, who first appeared during Jack's landmark Fantastic Four run, issue number 52. And that's right in the middle of I would say the strongest era of all of comics. Possibly. Right, sure. Yeah. Like most creative, yeah. Yeah. I was talking to Tom about this recently and I was yep. like you know for my money Fantastic Four like 46 through 54 <laughs> is like the best and he is was Tom like here? That sounds just like <laughs> Tom. that was me oh right oh, is Ryan here <laughs> yeah right there and, and Tom's like well you have to include the issue 60 and like pushes his glasses up <laughs> and he like corrected me I was like oh, yes Tom you're right <laughs> uh, but like Black Panther right in the mix of all of it I'd say though for my money better yet dive into Black Panther number one from 1977 sure. yeah yeah because yeah. Kirby returned to Marvel after a few years away. Mm -hmm. He produced, in my opinion, some of the coolest stuff of his career in all of Marvel. Yeah, he was polished at that point. Like, it was perfect Jack Kirby, yeah. That is the perfect description. Polished yeah. and perfect Jack Kirby. C is for Captain America. 1941, the world is at war, and here comes the Star-Spangled Avenger along with Bucky. Yes. The cover of the dang issue is Captain America punching <laughs> Hitler in the face. <laughs> Captain America, do not play. Yeah. So good. And look at the lasting impact of, of the character, right? What he means to people nearly 80 years later. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. And then Kirby did work right. with Captain America in the 60s. I, I keep using this word again, and this is the way I think about art, is mm -hmm. it's magic to me. Sure. Yeah, yeah, there's something 
it's just natural. Like it makes sense. But he made that up. Like he invented. I mean, there were other patriotic characters that were going out at the time because we were at war and art reflects real life, obviously. But there was something special about Cap and his design and the kind of hero that he was and the no nonsense kind of thing, but also very noble that made him kind of stand the test of time. I mean, there's a reason he's come back and been popular in different formats, whether it was Avengers when he came back years later after the war or uh, the Captain America movie in the 90s that I love or the <laughs> yeah. new Captain America stuff in the Avengers. I mean, when when Captain America shows up in the Avengers movie, everyone in the audience starts kind of like getting warm and like clapping and cheering because that character represents something that was on display on that first cover and it's all Jack. Yeah. yeah. D is for devil dinosaur because he's a big red T-Rex like dinosaur with a little dude riding on his back. Come on. How do you not love it? Remember when I mentioned Jack's return to Marvel in the 70s? Right. Great. Uh, <laughs> devil oh, from, oh, from earlier? Right. Yeah. Yes. Devil dinosaur is right in there. 1978. It is big and it's fun and it's weird and yeah, so yeah. cool. It's so counter to everything else too that was going on. Like... I can't imagine the meeting where he walked in and they're like, hey, you got a new idea for Captain America or some bad guy for Black Panther to fight? And he's like, nope. <laughs> I want to use a giant dinosaur. Oh, like a green one? Nope. It's going to be red and he's going to have a monkey on his back. Like, what are you talking about? That's awesome. And then someone in the meeting is like, yeah, whatever. It's Jack. Let's do it. Yeah. yeah. It worked. And it, it's crazy. I think it was only nine issues or something yeah, like yeah. that. And so now we have sure. Moon Girl and Double Dinosaur going now for three years yeah, yeah. And, and on. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's bringing new readers in in different ways that I'm sure that that book brought readers in. There was probably some kid who whose brother was into to Captain America and the Avengers, and he was like, that's not really for me. And he looks over and sees his Double Dinosaur book <laughs> with a monkey guy, and you're like, yes. <laughs> Sign me up. I could be Moon Boy one day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, E is for Isan the Searcher, <laughs> one of the Celestials. Uh, 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 giant so space gods with yeah. the absolutely coolest design. Very perfect Kirby look. Yes. Amazing. All the, the Celestials, weird Kirby circuitry and stuff. And then he goes so deep and like you look at their hands, yeah. their thumbs, bits and pieces of them are, are full of detail. Yeah, you could almost build them. Like in real life. Yeah, yeah. And because they're so odd looking that they're just very... I don't know, original? Yeah. Uh, my dude, Isan, he gets properly introduced in Eternals number 9, 1977, in Miami, where I was born. I was going to sing a song, but I, we don't have the rights to it. Bienvenue. Hi. It's Miami. <laughs> my, it is Miami. You know that song. Yes, yes. Uh, in, in, the, in the story, he has this cool universal eye in the palm of his hand right. that lets him search and learn about things because he's Isan the searcher. He literally is just like, hmm. Puts his hand, hand into like the Lemurian city and he's just like just freaking people out. Literally, the <laughs> deviants are bugging out in the issue. It's so good. But he's one of the many celestials of the fourth host that Jack created in Eternals, which is just a series full of bombastic and incredible ideas. Crazy. I could have done this whole thing on Eternals. Oh, yeah, alone. Just Eternals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. F is for the Fantastic Four because it's the obvious choice. Yes. But it is the right choice <laughs> whether we're talking about the series or the team there is no marvel as we know it without the fantastic four correct there's no fantastic four without jack the king kirby correct we could talk about their familial aspects ben grimm's tormented yet heroic heart mm -hmm. jack's occasional use of mixed media which is as as a fan yeah especially as a huge jack kirby fan that is one of my favorite things whenever he would go to like negative zone or something right extra weird yeah he would like make a collage a collage yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like photo and it's black and white yeah and then you've got the color art on top of yep, it yep Oh, it's beautiful stuff. It's yeah, gorgeous. Do you have a favorite Kirby thing? 
Uh, uh, from Fantastic Four. From Fantastic Four. So I like Doctor Doom a lot. Yeah. Uh, especially Kirby's Doom. He's just kind of like bulky and and very menacing, especially against the rest of the FF characters. And I also like uh, Awesome Android. Awesome Android. I knew it. Yes. Telepathic. Yes. He's so cute. He is. He's so. I mean, the way Kirby draws it looks like a giant, scary monster, but like. If you put googly eyes on the side of his head, oh. yeah, think about that. <laughs> I'm about very that. much thinking about uh, that. It would be adorable. Yeah. So, yeah, I like him a lot. All right. G is for Groot. Mm. Yeah, Groot. Big Groot dates back to 1960 in the pages of Tales to Astonish number 13, another Atlas Comics era yes. treasure. Yes. Groot's had a renaissance since being reintroduced in the cosmic comics, like... Annihilation, Annihilation Conquest, right. Guardians of the Galaxy, like the 2008-9 era was like boom right, 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 for right. us with cosmic stuff. So he came back in that and then now into the films and beyond. And, you know, Groot starts out, though, in the first story as a conqueror and like a tree herder. He's like, right. trees, move for me. You're going to go back to my <laughs> home planet and like talk to my scientist friends. Like there's a panel of like other Groot scientists wearing like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> glasses. That's so yeah. good. Uh, but he gets trounced by a regular dude who throws termites into him that's how he beats him like yeah he he picks up a handful of termites no he's like i i raised termites and like groot's like talking and then he's like oh no and then he's dead what yeah it's crazy uh h is for hella and this whole list similar to the eternals could easily have mm-hmm. been all Asgardian and Thor related. So it was hard to limit, but I just love Hela. Yeah. And she first shows up in Journey into Mystery number 102 as a small part of a Tales of Asgard story. Jack kind of tweaks her design a little bit over the next couple times she appears, yep. gives her more gravitas because when she showed up, it literally meant death was here. Right. She was death. She was coming. No, that's a great point about how he would draw her introducing her. Uh, it was a long time when he would introduce characters with just a panel. But over time, uh, you knew it was an important entrance from a character when he would draw a full page splash. And, you know, they would announce their entrance or whatever. And I can imagine like Hella and all the different Thor comics showing up and scaring the crap out of people because of the way Jack Jewer. Yeah. Yeah. There's a great one. Uh, like Thor's dead. It's like 150 or something yeah. like that. And Thor's died. Kind of. And Hella shows up. She's like, come on. Come with me, buddy. Right. He's like, no, oh, I still live. I didn't finish that puzzle. Yeah. Our Thor is so good. <laughs> wow. I is for Iron Man. And this one is neat because Kirby did not draw the first Iron Man story in Tales of Suspense number 39. Right. But he drew the cover mm-hmm. and designed Iron Man's suit. What we now call the Mark One is a riff on Jack Kirby's design. Right, right. And like that. It's just so cool. That Tin Man yeah. gray look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, J is for Jones specifically. Gabe Jones and Rick Jones. <laughs> I had to go two here. I wanted to. Gabe was a member of one of my favorite squads, Sergeant Fury's Howling Commandos, yeah. and a veteran agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. But Rick Jones is one of the reasons we have a Hulk. Mm-hmm. The dang kid was just hanging out in the desert at a gamma bomb testing site like you do, uh-huh. and would have been blown to smithereens were it not for the timely intervention of Mr. Uh, Dr. Bruce Banner. Maybe you've heard of him. Uh, but you just think of the like the bits and pieces. It's, I always think about what-if stories. Like, yeah, sure. What if Rick Jones didn't go to the testing Drive site? out there. Yeah. Right, right, right. So then Banner doesn't become go out there to save him. Banner doesn't become Hulk. Without the Hulk, what happens to the Avengers? What happens? Like, right. there's a cascade of those things. Sure. And then Rick Jones went on to do, like, he be- he became a bunch of different kinds of characters. He was, like, instrumental in the Kree scroll War. He just died, right? He died in uh, Secret, Secret Empire. Empire, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. R.I.P. Yeah. Was a hacker later years. Yeah. Switched yeah. bodies with Captain Marvel. Yeah. Has, he's done so he's much. He's done a lot. Yeah. I haven't done anything. Well, I think about it. We're fine. We're okay. fine. K is for Kirby Crackle, the signature way Jack Kirby depicted energy. Yes. And it's essentially how Jack drew groups of dots around mm-hmm. people 
or objects or in backgrounds or really like wherever. Right. It was it was showing the buildup of power. Yeah, it's funny because there are things that you can only accomplish in comics, right? Like as a visual medium. The Kirby Crackle is one of those things that, like you said, the, that buildup of energy, it feels like when someone someone's standing there with their fist balled up and behind them is some Kirby Crackle, you can tell that that fist has energy just literally pulsing off of it. But that's an effect that you can only accomplish in comics. I mean, you could try to put it on screen, but it doesn't have the same effect as on a still page. It feels like there's motion and power. It's pretty nuts. Yeah, that's that's awesome. L is for Lockjaw, the greatest pup in the Marvel Universe. Aww. Sorry, Thori. Uh, <laughs> Lockjaw is a giant teleporting dog who is part of the royal inhuman family. Jack gave him a face that made it look like he had a mustache. Right. Uh, and this look is uh, what I wear. Is that is yeah. that why you got that? No, oh. I just love, I really, I actually love mustaches. Right, right. I've always wanted one, and so I, now I have one. Uh, but it should be called the Lockjaw. Right. right. Oh, yes. Right? We should start that. Yeah. It is the lockjaw. That's what we're doing. Yeah. Can you grow a lockjaw? No. As I was going to say, you love mustaches. If you if you find an extra one, mm-hmm. if you could pass it to me because I can't grow a mustache, <laughs> it grows on the sides but not in the middle. So I look like- um, That guy? That guy mm-hmm. on the train where you're like, don't look over here. <laughs> Read your book, sir. <laughs> M is for Modoc, and I hereby announce that Modoc is the greatest character in all of fiction. Uh, yes. Yes. He was an AIM scientist who scienced so hard, he became a super-powered science villain with a big science head in the science chair, and I love him so much. Yes. Modoc is such a weird design, but it works so well because Kirby just had that gift for making weird cool. Right. Uh, and I brought here my copy of Tales of Suspense number 94. There, So 93 of the issue of, of Tales of Suspense, they mention MODOK. And it's even, they like, say people, his name. He's like, MODOK, MODOK. Like they keep mentioning right, it. Right. And like Cap and Sharon are in the book and they're like, MODOK. Right. And the AIM guys are like, MODOK. <laughs> and then this one is, if this be MODOK. <laughs> it's so good. You got little purple MODOK. He's in his like pajamas oh, he's a little bitty here. in there. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's like, I buy him over here. Wait, so he wasn't born like that? No. They made him into that? Science experiments, man. Okay. And like, just... Yeah, smell it. Smell yeah. that comic. I'm going to smell it. Yep. It's real. <laughs> this is beautiful. Right? Where'd you get this? I own it. It's oh, mine. This is beautiful. Yeah. It's in great shape, too. Right? It's not so bad. Uh, this 19... looks so good. 1967? We're just going to stop talking and read this issue for yeah. 25 Story minutes. Story time. Yeah. Uh, and, you That's know, you awesome. think about like those weird characters that Jack did right uh arnim zola or whatever but sure. to me there is nothing finer than modok yep yep n is for nick fury the coolest army vet term cia agent turned super spy agent and later head of shield mm-hmm. so cool my agent m moniker yeah. is a nod to nick fury ah, a little a little trivia a little uh, how Hello. you doing <laughs> Uh, my first Marvel.com blog was called A Spy in the House, which I did in 2006 and 2007. Oh, wow. And it's fun that he was introduced as a war comic, and then he, as as culture changed and spies became hot, he became a spy. And it wasn't and... even that long of a difference. No. It was no. like, oh, we're telling these stories in World War II. Right. What if now he's a super spy because 20 years later, right. things are different. Right, right. And they were like going concurrently. Yeah. And then obviously people know him because of the movies, but that's that's a genius stroke too that he comes together and like unifies the the Avengers. It's it's great. Yeah. O is for Odin, and I mentioned the Tales of Asgard stories a bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Those are great places to see Kirby rip it up with stories of Odin and the world around Thor. They begin in Journey into Mystery number ninety-seven, but issues ninety-eight and ninety-nine have Odin facing off in ninety-eight with Ymir and in ninety-nine with Surtur, mm-hmm. and he's just a total badass, charging down the Rainbow Bridge, riding his winged horse, looking majestic. 
That's so Odin. P is for <laughs> Pym Particles, which were first introduced along with Hank Pym himself in Tales to Astonish 27 in 1962. Mm-hmm. But they weren't actually called Pym Particles at first, no. which is, this is the interesting part. Hank Pym, he wasn't even Ant-Man in that first story. He's just a science dude. And in the initial story, he develops a serum like in a beaker to help shrink things. And he like shrinks a chair and he's like, oh, I did that. It's just like a fluid? Yeah, uh, but it's only later in the 80s when the name Pym Particles is coined. Really? As far as I could tell, because huh. I looked at a bunch of comics, and it really, like, it just doesn't exist until much later. Right. I think it was Mark Grunewald right. who officially names it. Called it, it a thing, yeah. Because he's Mark Grunewald, and he was brilliant. Right. So Q is for Quasimodo, who appears in Fantastic Four, annual number four, and he's right there on the first page. <laughs> and this is, again, a polished, perfect Kirby, yep. right there, and then his name is Quasi Motivational Destruct Organ. Organ. <laughs> I don't. I read it six times to make sure organ was was the last word of there. Someone called him an organ. It's so uh, rude. I think later it becomes organism, but right. organ. And he's a computer, right? With uh, sentience, who is created by the Mad Thinker, and so. Quasimodo just wants to help Mad Thinker. That's literally all he wants to do is like, can I help? What do you need? Yeah. And it ends up being this super sad story. The end oh. of that story is fading at like out with Quasimodo being like, please let me help you. And like it zooms out as Quasimodo is left alone. That's awful. Yeah. I and mean, so, great, but awful. And then we don't see him for a year until the <laughs> next annual. And Silver Surfer is just like flying around New York City or somewhere. And he's just like, I hear somebody said and he goes down and he meets Quasimodo and he uses his cosmic power he gives Quasimodo a body and Quasimodo's like this is great I, I, I got a body I can walk around I can open doors yeah and he's he immediately attacks Silver Surfer <laughs> <laughs> he immediately goes full jerk and then uh, eventually Silver Surfer stops him and he's like nah son and he takes away he took his arms and his legs away t- yeah he turns him into a statue whoa and then like that's the end of, of that era. But this issue, number five, had such great Kirby crackle in it. Yes. Oh, yeah. man. So good. So that's Quasimodo. <laughs> R is for Ronan the Accuser. Jack loved drawing big dudes with cool hammers. Yes. And awesome costumes. Yes. Ronan is primo. He is a super powerful member of the Kree. He shows up in New York City to throw down with the Fantastic Four in issue number 65. Again, bathed in Kirby Crackle. Right, right, right. I know I keep going back to things from Fantastic Four, but it's it's an eternal wellspring. Yeah. For example, S is for scrolls, Ricky. <laughs> uh, some of the oldest foes the Fantastic Four would face, going back to Fantastic Four number two and one of the longest standing alien races we have in the Marvel Universe. Skrulls have been tied to two of my favorite things in Marvel Comics history. One is the epic event, Secret Invasion. Yes. That was like shortly uh, a year or two after I started at Marvel, so it was like very important to me. And you have the Skrulls as shapeshifters nearly taking over the world. Yeah. Great story. Yeah. Manil Yu on art, Brian yeah. Michael Bendis writing. Yeah. So good. Who do you trust? Yes. Oh, so I love that tagline. And like, old characters showed up and you're like, is that, are they actually back or is it a scroll? Like, it's crazy. I love that book. Uh, and the other one is them getting turned into cows. <laughs> and this one is bonkers. Yes. Uh, the Fantastic Four beat the group of scrolls right. in that first appearance. Then as punishment, Reed Richards, cold-blooded mother that he is, tells them to change into cows. Then he says, so I can hypnotize you and make you forget your previous existence. The last panel of the book is a field with a bunch of cows. This is issue two of Fantastic Four. Issue two. We've established the characters and changed the history of uh, media entertainment. 
Now let's turn these aliens into cows. <laughs> Done. <laughs> and the look, like Jack draws such like, they, they have these wild looks on their faces and their eyes are done so oh, well. Bugged out and yeah. creepy. Yeah. Oh, so good. T is for Thor, who's been the star of many of my favorite comics over the years. But every design and redesign for the Odinson always stems from what Jack established, starting with Journey into Mystery number 83. Yeah. And then you look at everything else around Thor, mm -hmm. Asgard, Loki, all the Norse-inspired elements. It's just magic. Yep. U is for Eunice the Untouchable, an evil mutant whose origins go way back to the original X-Men number eight with a power to project a nearly invincible force field around himself. It's just a cool little power. It's just like someone running at you and go, Mow. yeah, don't touch me. Yeah. Is is this the first X-Men related item on the list? You better believe you it. You haven't even touched the X-Men yet and we're already at U. I know. That's amazing. Right? Yes. I'm a big fan of professional wrestling and Eunice found a career inside the squared circle, which I think is cool. I'm surprised. I wonder if Jason Aaron ever wrote Eunice. Oh, he had to. Right? Is he dead? He got, I don't know. I'm going to text him after this. I meant I meant uh, Eunice, not Jason. Jason's very much alive. Oh, thank God. Uh, also, I like to pronounce it Eunice. <laughs> uh, v is for Volstag. Okay, one more Asgardian on this list because he's my favorite <laughs> member of the Warriors 3. He's ever yes. hungry. Yes, yes, yes. Wonderfully bearded. Yeah. Uh, some may call him Volstag the Voluminous, which I have always loved as a name. Yeah. Like, Marvel alliteration is yeah the best yeah, yeah. but he's referred to by thor in his first appearance in journey into mystery number 19 as volstag the enormous or volstag the blustering boasting giant of a warrior <laughs> thor is such a jerk yeah it's great but it's because of kirby's incredible design he always stands out whenever you see him whether it's like in that first appearance he's got this multicolored outfit right uh but he's got all these different layers like he could have just drawn a like a standard warrior but right. there's pieces to his costume and he's big, and then you know you think of with the hat and the feather and right. the big dude. Ah, oh, he's so cool. Yeah, just the visual, the world of of Asgard was unlike anything else up to that point, and since. And this is that's not the only time he did that. He went on to to create the visual world of many other uh, groups of characters and titles. It's insane. Yeah. W is for Warren Worthington the Third. You thought I'd get through this list without a proper member of the X-Men, didn't yeah, you, Ricky? Yeah, I did. Yep. You made it. Yep. Uh, no, he's one of the original five X-Men introduced in their first issue. Warren is the winged angel of the team. And one of my favorite aspects is, especially of these classic Kirby stories yeah. uh, that he drew, was how Kirby depicted Angel binding his wings down. Yes, absolutely. I just thought that was so cool. Like, that binding always looks so painful and so weird, but... There was this logic to it. Right. One of my first comics was a reprint of them facing off against the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. And he, he has to bind them down. But, like, it looks super painful and you can kind of feel it. But it makes sense. Like, he was he was putting thought into how do these strange, for lack of a better word, freaks, like, pass as human beings when they're on the street so they don't get attacked by people who are scared of them. So the thought that he put into how does this actually work, the mechanics of this. It's just like you said about the Celestials and their fingertips. Like, it all looks like it could actually work. Um to some degree. Yeah. X is for Zemnu the Titan, of course. I couldn't imagine any other option for X. <laughs> One last Atlas Era character here. Zemnu. No, there really is no other option for X. Nope. There's no other X thing. Nope. Yeah. Zero. Uh, Zemnu has one of my favorite Kirby creature designs. It's like a Monsters Incorporated furry beast yes. with robot like abdomen and, and parts. Right. And he's got really long arms. He's got this big mustache. Right. Zemnu the Titan is cool. Uh, but they called him the Hulk. Like you look at the Ooh. cover, he doesn't. It doesn't say Zemnu. It says it's the Hulk. Yeah, and yeah, the, yeah, yeah. like they talk about him as this Hulk thing. Right, 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 right. Is that before? Yeah, it's before Hulk, right? It's before yeah, yeah, yeah. the Incredible Hulk. Yeah. Uh, Journey into Mystery number sixty-two. Right. Super neat story. He was like a prisoner on this prison planet, and there's this one panel of Zemnu 
just walking around sad with all these other monster alien designs. And it's just like, Jack's just like, okay, cool. I'm going to design 30 different alien Here's races. Here's a genius idea. Here's a genius idea. Yeah. Here's a genius idea. And I'm not gonna, they're not going to talk or show up ever again. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. Here you go. Yeah. Boom. Walks yeah. out. You're welcome. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> Why is for young allies because I love a good team of kid sidekicks. Kids. <laughs> the first issue from 1941 has the cover is Bucky punching both the Red Skull and Hitler. Like, mm. no, he's one punch knocking them both out. It's oh. like he, the way I imagine it is he hits Red Skull, Red Skull's head bounces back and into bonks. Hitler's head, yeah. and then Hitler's head bounces back. It like, oh. both got knocked out. Yeah, yeah. I feel like when I was a kid, my favorite books would almost always include kids hanging out or a kid sidekick or a kid supporting cast member or in some cases uh, a teen hero because I feel like you don't necessarily identify with them but it's fun for you to think that in a world of these super adults that kids could also have a place. Yeah, so cool. And then finally Z is for Zabu, the super awesome saber-toothed tiger who oh. prowls the jungles of the Savage Land with the lord of all abs. Kazar. He's got like 58 abs. At least. Have you they like go around his back. They're <laughs> in his neck. He's got abs in his neck. It's wild. Whenever Chris Anka draws uh yeah. Kazar, I'm like, did he use me as a model? <laughs> because geez. Yeah. Is Ask this for fine? a picture next time. I'll just send you some. Uh and this is another character from the early days of the X-Men issue number 10. Mm -hmm. He's just a giant cat. Mm -hmm. And he's great. Yeah. Cats yeah. are great. Cats, Cats are the best. Yeah. The only way that Modoc could be better if he were a cat. Think about that. I just, as I was saying it out loud, I was like, oh. Ricky, thank you for joining me for uh, Jack Kirby A to Z. And now our interview with Shannon and Dean Hale, authors of Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, Too Fuzzy, Too Furious. Happy birthday, Jack Kirby. Shannon and Dean Hale, writers of the Unbeatable Squirrel Girl series. How are you guys doing? Great. Great. Good to be here, Ryan. You guys have been doing the Unbeatable Squirrel Girl books for us. Second book, which has... Maybe my favorite title for any book, literally ever. What is it called? <laughs> too, too fuzzy, too, too furious. furious. And when I talk, when, whenever I post it on Twitter, I get people being "ha ha, that's funny." And then what I'm is like, it really? That's really no. the title. Yeah. And, like no one believes that's it. that's it. That is that's an official literary work called "Too Fuzzy, Too Furious." <laughs> How did you get that title approved? Because that seems like like a gift from. Above, it was instant. It, it was, was. It wasn't even our idea. It was somebody at Marvel Press at Disney that said, "How about too fuzzy, too furious?" And <laughs> right. we were like, "Are you kidding me?" Yes. Sure. Can we do that? That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, fantastic. What is the difference between uh, the Doreen in your books versus, say, the Doreen that we know right now in the Unbeatable Squirrel Girl comics? We tried to be true to the Unbeatable Squirrel Girl comics and feel like, okay, who would this who would this Doreen be at age fourteen? So we put her in middle school partly because if you have to hide a five-foot squirrel tail in the seat of your pants, like where would be a better place to be than middle school <laughs> for that? And just the oh, the awkwardness. And, ugh, she's So she's younger. She's still not uh, – when we start out, she still hasn't come out fully as squirrel girl. She hasn't told the world that she's squirrel girl, and she's still trying to hide who she is. So we got to show her first be like break out and be squirrel girl. Yeah, the, the the goal, you know, for us really was to write the character, Ryan's character and, and Erica's character from the comics, like who she would have been. Like, who could we write that will become this girl in the comics? 
I love it. The book is one of my favorite books. The like everything that Ryan and Erica and the team have done. Yeah. Do you guys talk to Ryan much? Oh, about, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you guys collaborate and, yeah. and chat. Yeah, we do. I don't know if we're we were, we're supposed, supposed to, to, but we did. <laughs> he's, he's awesome. He's our favorite Canadian. I'm going on the record. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ryan North is our favorite yeah. Canadian. I mean, I can't, sorry, Celine Dion. Ooh, I can't I think. What are other great Canadians? Wade Wilson. Yeah, he's pretty good. Yeah. He's pretty okay. <laughs> Puck. I just uh, started oh, to think yeah. of Alpha Flight. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Marine. Puck is Puck is delightful. Um, so, what are your guys' Marvel origin stories? You know, did you read when you were a kid? Did you cartoons, movies? You know, I love learning how people got you know connected to the characters and the world and the stories. Well, I'm I I've been there from age zero, like like from the get go. It was it was you know Spider Man and for the longest time, Moon Knight and Micronauts were just like my go-tos when I was little. And, you know, of course, Micronauts is not there anymore. But those stories were so great. And the Sienkiewicz art on, on, on Moon Knight was great. And so I've been inculcated in that, you know, in that fantasy world forever. And I grew up in a house that didn't do comics. I had no access to comics. We didn't go to libraries. And I... I I just never, they never existed. I remember first being exposed to comics when I, when I was a kid at a friend's house, they had some X-Men comics and it was Gambit and Rogue and I loved it so much. And then I never had any other entry point until I got to be older and I met him and he started me reading comics and that's how I got into it. It's the way to do it. Yeah. Share comics, share love. It's true. It so is this good. is a thing that is important to me in my soul. <laughs> share it. And it, it, it didn't take much convincing. Sean, have you read the uh, Rogue and Gambit comic series that we just finished? Uh, no, Kelly I Thompson haven't. wrote it and it just. Oh, I love Kelly Thompson. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's one of my favorite books. And I do not like Gambit. At all. I think he's a dirtbag human being. But she has made me enjoy him and sort of see the reasons why Rogue loves him. And when you can see the good in someone from someone else's point of view, um, she does that in the book really, really well. And I love Rogue. Rogue is one of my favorite X-Men. I definitely think you should check that out. Okay, I will. And I need to go on the record that I was young when I was reading those comics. Mm -hmm. And I am not here to stand for Gambit. <laughs> so I don't I don't want the emails. <laughs> I am not a Gambit apologist, but I do enjoy the X-Men generally. Kelly Kelly and I have, have talked about Gambit at length multiple times. And she's been on the show before and explained like her point of view for it. And I I get it a little bit more. Not, I, I'm not fully there yet, no, but I get it. Me either. You know, I, this is one of the things I've talked to Ryan about, Ryan North, where he he asked me once, who is a character? Because it seemed to him like I just loved everybody, all characters everywhere. <laughs> he's such a little, he's a nerd boy. That's he's a good like, way to be, he though. He likes to giggle yes, about it Right, all. it's true. I, I, you know, I love Modoc, but, um, and, and Stiltman and Lady Stiltman. But, uh, <laughs> Lady Stiltman. That's a real character. But, yes, she's fantastic. That's right. But we were. T- he said, who is somebody that, that, that people like that you don't really get? And I said, Gambit. I don't really, you know, people groove on there. And I was like, he seems like a slime bag. But I think any writer can take any yeah. character. Yeah. Like, for example, Kitty Pride was someone that I never really thought much about or cared for until Joss Whedon wrote her. And then I loved the way Joss Whedon wrote Kitty on hmm. his turn of X-Men. Fascinating, yeah, because Kitty is a, a character, like, for I, for me, it was Rogue because she was more prevalent, but the generation prior was, was Kitty. It was yeah. like, Kitty was our point of view character in yeah. the X-Men, and yeah. yeah, fascinating. I love it, I love it. What about Squirrel Girl? Before you guys started getting the gig and doing the book, did you know of Squirrel Girl? Because I remember 
I remember buying her first appearance. It was in this like fall special right. or winter special mm -hmm. and she had the lines on her yeah. eyes right, right. and it was Ditko. It's around 91. Yeah. yeah, 91 and she yeah. fights Doctor Doom and it's yep. just yeah. this mind-blowing story with Iron Man in it. Yep. it was, I loved it but it's a very strange story. Yeah, it is. I, I was not familiar. He was familiar with Squirrel Girl and uh, he introduced me before we got the gig. He introduced me to Squirrel Girl. He was always saying, oh, you would love this because he knows I care about the ladies. Yeah. I do. I care about the female representation. So whenever he finds like really awesome female characters, he's like, you would like this one. Yeah. And so. Yes. I, 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 immediately. What's not to love about Squirrel Girl? But I, of course, it's Ryan Norris and Erica Henderson's run that solidified it. I just think that their humor, but they, the way that it could be funny, but at the same time doesn't belittle her or any of the characters, it takes them very seriously and yeah. makes them completely awesome and yet can be funny at the same time. That's an extremely fine balance for a writer and they pull it off. Yeah, and and I had known about her. I don't think I read that one, the the Will Mary Ditko story, but I did read the, the Great Lakes Avengers stuff with her. And then when she appeared, when Bendis put her in, the Avengers. That's when I first and and she was yeah. you know the babysitter and it was just and how she beat up Wolverine and <laughs> it was just you, and I was like this person this is on my radar now and then when the the regular series came out I was like well this, I mean he just like took it to the next level it was phenomenal. Uh, what do your kids think about you guys writing books about arguably the toughest Marvel superhero definitely the most unbeatable. Yes. Like, what do they think about that? They don't That'd care. Cool. <laughs> not, not really. They yeah, they couldn't care. Less. They're like, oh yeah. I mean, they're they're ha they like they like her, but they're like, eh. they're you know, I don't know. When kids are raised, and you know, at a particular point, I'm introducing them to all these famous authors. They're like, yes, we've met so many authors, mother. Look, I got this book signed for you. Yes, we know. It, it, it's not a big deal, which is good. You don't want yeah. you don't want your kids to be fans. Yeah, sure. But they well, do I love. Do. They, I mean, not of us. <laughs> oh, not of us, right? Comics, right, right. But, no, yeah. But they, oh, they love Squirrel Girl. I mean, one of our daughters wanted to be Squirrel Girl. One of our we have we have four kids. We have twin seven-year-olds, and one of them wanted to be Squirrel Girl for Halloween last year. I ordered a costume from Etsy, from Lithuania. It never arrived. Well, it did arrive just somewhere random in California. I know, we and have. we never got it, so that was heartbreaking. But our 14-year-old, our he reads all of our manuscripts, makes notes, and he actually added a few lines in the second book um, to make it funnier. He was like, we need to punch up the humor of this part. Oh, that's and he was the like, best. Yeah. The no, online bits, they just aren't edgy enough. Yeah, yeah. He was <laughs> like, you need to get more memes in there. You know, like He, he like knew the, the current like bad speak, because we're writing from... We're writing a lot of this online stuff that a bad guy who's trying to sound cool would write. So we're doing it badly. Mm -hmm. And he's like, he knew which ones to put in, but overdo. Um, so he was better at that than us. That's a great research assistant. It yes. Is. Oh my it God. Really yes. Is. Yeah. I was reading about uh, The Princess in Black, and, and Shannon, you explained the impetus for that series, which I thought was really cool. It was your daughter right. basically saying princesses don't wear black. Yeah. I thought I just I thought that was really cool. And I think our listeners and, and our viewers should check that out because breaking those sort of conceptions is really important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She was she was four years old and she was wearing this skirt and she was pointing to these different colors on her skirt saying pink is a girl color and purple's a girl color, but black isn't. And I said well, what do you mean black? A back girl wears black, you know. And I thought that would be the 
the end of the discussion, she'd be like, you're right, mother. Black can be a, a girl color, too. I don't know where, why colors have gender anyway. It's so weird. But, it, but what she said was, princesses don't wear black. And immediately I was like, whoa. And he came home from work. I was like, honey, the princess in black. And she's a superhero. Yes, of course she's a superhero. And she fights monsters. And she fights monsters. And yeah, so now there's six books in the series. It, it's for, it's early chapter books. So we're trying to inculcate the very young into superhero fandom like as soon as they can read and then we'll have a new generation of superhero fans doing it's all part of our nefarious that's plan right. doing good work it's you know it was important for me with that book and with squirrel girl too is is to show that because so often there's this dichotomy with gender or with or with femininity where you can either be the princess or you can be like the tomboy or you can be the action. tough guy you have to choose either or and i you know i want to say you can be both you can be both. you can enjoy you know flouncing around and you can enjoy punching people flouncing in the face flouncing around is the flouncing official around. term that's what i enjoy doing <laughs> <laughs> so princess magnolia she enjoys the fluffy pink dresses she enjoys the the glass slippers and the tea parties with other princesses and then when the monster alarm goes off she also enjoys putting on the mask right. and the cape and riding off to use her ninja skills against monsters. She likes both. And I feel like, why do we have to tell kids they have to choose either or, that they can only be one kind of kid? There are lots of kinds of kids they can be simultaneously. Yeah. No, I love it. It's fantastic. I'm glad we got to talk about that. I think that also sort of connects a little bit with Squirrel Girl and Doreen because she's kind of geeky. She's nerdy. She has all these different interests. She's super positive. There's all those elements around Doreen that she's not just one thing, one lane, which makes her such a great character. What's going on with her in the latest book? She's in middle school. So in book two, she has um, a group of friends now that she's formed. One of her her best friend is Ana Sofia Arcos Romero. She's Mexican-American. She's deaf. She has formed a close friendship with Thor to the point where her family calls him Teal Thor, and he comes by and, and consumes great great number of empanadas um, with and the family. And gets socks. And gets socks. He really appreciates the socks of Midgard because there's actually like a full page of Thor. Ranting about all of the nine realms, or eight realms, where you can't get good socks in Niflheim. You can't get them in Svartalheim. You can't, you know, they're just all uh, ruined. The, 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 pro the problem with the socks of all the different realms and why they are not up to standard Except, Except for, for Midgard, Midgard socks. So yeah. um, that's uh, that's an important part of the book. <laughs> and uh, but I want a shirt that just says like Tio Thor and, and has yes. him, you know, like yes. hanging out with the kids, right, 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 right like, yeah, playing with the hammer, like you can't lift it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's really cute. Anna Sophia's dad really wants to try to lift he it. He wants to try. To, he wants to just see if he can nudge just it. nudge it. He knows he can't yeah, wield it. Yeah, yeah. he never gets home in time from from work to try it out. But that was really fun to develop this. In the first book, Anna Sophia has kind of a fangirl image of Thor and like kind of freaks out about, about him. And then she does meet him by the end of the first book. And by the second book, we see that it's become kind of like, oh, Thor's over again. <laughs> so embarrassing. He's always like dropping in the middle of the yard and leaving the smell of sulfur in his path and, you know, breaking lamps, you know, <laughs> turning around too fast. So Squirrel Girl, um, she's still, I mean, she no one knows her secret identity, but there are a group of middle school students who call themselves the Squirrel, Squirrel Scouts, Scouts who help out and fight crime. And she's trying to balance this life. What she's finding is it's easier to be Squirrel Girl than it is to be Doreen Green and trying to figure out how to be both. But then there's a, a mall moves in and they're going to open this new mall and there's something about it that's just not quite right. Their logo 
is a happy smiley face with octopus tentacles. And it looks a little familiar. And she's a little suspicious, but Hydra wouldn't open a mall. It would be absurd. In New Jersey, would they? Hide in plain sight. Yeah, so that's where it goes. Some good potential Mm. (laughs) rebranding. Dean, what is your experience as, you know, what do you bring to writing about the perspectives of, you know, 14-year-old girls and uh, talking squirrels, stuff like that? Where do do you bring to that? When we wrote the book, we kind of divvied up the point of view characters. And, and so in, in the books, we have four point of view characters, if you count Doreen and Squirrel Girl separately. And so um, we've got Doreen, Squirrel Girl, Ana Sofia, and Tippy Toe. And, um, and also the bad guy. Well, the bad guy, too. That's right. That's right. We've got in, in both books. And so you, Shannon tends to write uh, Ana, Ana Sofia and, and Doreen. Doreen. Yeah. And, and I will be Tippy Toe and the bad guys. And, 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 then we we sh- and then we share Squirrel Girl because we both, we both really want to do Squirrel Girl. Yeah, because those are the action scenes. And we but I love writing evil people. Yeah. It's just... <laughs> well, the, but the tippy-toe chapters... Well, the tippy-toe chapters, he's too. He's worked out this great voice for the, the slang that the squirrels use among themselves. And uh, the squirrel in, in, in book two, they have... Um, they need to break into this mall to see if it really is Hydra. And so Tippy Toe puts together a team called Squirrel Team Six, and they all have their different specialties um, that they're really good right. at. Right. And I wanted like a character sheet, <laughs> like right when they when they first identify the characters, it was like yeah, you know Fuzz the, Fountain Cortez. Their I, aliases what, and their yeah. and their and their like and their a GI Joe. Bi- yes, card. Exactly. 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 Yeah, because like I can start to picture it. Yep, yep. that's exactly what I had in mind. Yeah. And their names are so, so there's Tippy Toe, then there's uh, Speedo Strut Fuzz. Right, Speedo Strut Fuzz. Uh, Big Sissy Hot Legs. Right. Chomp um, style. Chomp style. And Fuzz Fountain Cortez. Oh, Fuzz oh, no. Fountain Cortez. No, the little one, always changing her name, uh, Chive Alpha. Yeah, Chive yeah, Alpha. Yeah. Because in the first book, there was there were squirrels. There was a mother squirrel named Sour Cream, and her children were all known collectively as the Chives. And by the second one... And they were kidnapped. By the second one, one of the Chives has become Chive Alpha and is... The experience, her, the yeah. dark experiences, motivated her to yeah. for vengeance. She's don't mess with her. Yeah, yeah. she's like like five and a half inches long, and do you do not want her in your house? She will tear it apart from the inside out. Well, and we did a whole bunch of squirrel research. We did hashtag squirrel facts. Squirrel facts. <laughs> and the stuff we found out because what we realize is um, she's got the proportional abilities of the squirrel. So if we figure out what abilities squirrels have, scale them up, and then scale them up. I mean, some of them are pretty simple. Like for example. Uh, Squirrels can jump five times their body length vertically. So she's five foot tall. That's 25 feet up. Squirrels can jump 10 times their body length horizontally. So she's five feet tall. That's 50 feet. But some Do of the them, teeth one. The teeth one blew our mind. So humans can bite with a, a force of 250 pounds PSI. Which is enough to crack bone. Yeah, it's a lot. But squirrels, Try. just your everyday average squirrels can can bite with a force of 7,000 pounds PSI. Regular squirrels. Yeah, 7,000 pounds. They could easily chew through all our skulls. And, yeah. I mean, but, it, but they're nice. When power goes out, it's, it's a squirrel. It's usually a squirrel. Yeah. It is. So we worry about the grid, worry about squirrels. You can't make anything squirrel-proof. This is what we discovered. But if, if it's proportional ability, like her bite strength, it's I mean. scaled up from 7,000. I mean, you can't bite, bite through. through. Yeah. Yeah. Captain America's shield, no problem. Mm -hmm. Fight through vibranium. Whoa, (laughs) intense. In one of the books, do you you have a squirrel named Lorraine? Is that correct? We do, yeah. Yeah. We named Uh, one after Lorraine Sink. After Lorraine Sink? That's that's awesome. Uh, Are there other Easter eggs and cool, like, nods to people or or different things in the books? Anything you can share? 
in both of the books we have so like for example in the first book all of the squirrels in the neighborhood have gathered there's like 200 squirrels and Anna Sophia says you know all their names and squirrel girl says yes and she proceeds to tell them Name every so single we have one like three pages in the novel that's just all the squirrel names and there's a lot of easter eggs yeah. and we did it again in the book right too. right there there are so many i mean and most of them are the, the especially Plays the, on marvel characters yeah the deep cut marvel easter eggs are way very, obtuse there's a like, lot that i have I mean, no idea like i did the whole fantastic four yeah. I, I did moon knight and his secret identity but squirrelified just, you but know squirrelified Reed Grinbaum, some I can't remember what they are. Yeah, there's and then there's a in the second book we also did a fundraiser for the Trevor Project, and so people who donated to it got squirrelified names as well. Awesome. I'm always interested in writer teams and, and thinking like I talked to the Super Troopers and how they wrote a movie and and working with them together and, and comics writers and how how different each team is and how they structure things. And you guys talked a little bit about that, but aside from writing those POV sections. How does it come together? Is it, you know, like, okay, now we have one big manuscript. Let's go through it. What is, what is that process like for you guys? Well, it's very collaborative from the beginning. So whenever you write um, something that someone else owns the copyright, you have to outline a lot more than you would doing your own stuff. To get stuff. approval for every little bit. Yeah. yeah. So you do like a general outline, get that approved. And then, and then we do a chapter by chapter outline. And so all of, all of that is done in the same room. Or on long walks. Yeah, holding hands around the lake. Like a retirement commercial. Yeah, like so that. sweet. Not all writing teams do that. No. <laughs> no, they, they should. do. That's the they secret. They should. That's the secret, That's the yes. Secret. They don't They'll say never so. tell you. We can say it because we're married. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and then once we do that, we split up the chapters, um, and we go in our separate places, and we write these chapters, and then we put it together. And, of course, it's all kind of a bit of a Frankenstein monster. And then um, because I'm in charge. Always. Um, I go through the and do the rewrite, trying to make sure that everything flows and that it's in the same voice. And then he'll go do... And undo all of her changes um, and put funny things in. Funny things in. There's an ongoing argument, Ryan, about who writes the funny parts in uh, these books. Right, and, and it's me. I'm pretty sure I write the funny parts. Yeah, uh-huh. By the end of it, we're not really sure who That's wrote true. what anymore, so yeah. we can claim whatever we want because we've gone back and forth so many and, times. And we'll claim whatever we want. Yes. We know who wrote the first draft of a thing, but we don't know who wrote every sentence of it, and I'm, I'm pretty sure 95% of the funny parts are mine. Right. You're Definitively, fine. I would probably say it's both of you together. Yeah, that's Just that's the safe answer. He's trying true. to save our marriage. Thank look you. Thank him. you. For yeah, that. look, I've yeah. been married a, a long time. I understand. <laughs> it's collaboration. Yeah, it's cooperation. Exactly. Thank you all for joining us on this week in Marvel. Where can fans find you on social media and online? We're on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Hale Shannon, and then just shannonhale.com. And I'm on Twitter at Hale Spawn, but I mostly lurk and hide and watch. Shannon and Dean were terrific. Now, if you guys want to check out a video uh, from that interview, head to our Facebook page, Marvel Social, and of course, Marvel.com to check that out. And definitely check out their Unbeatable Squirrel Girl books. As we talked about in the interview, Lorraine is in the books. They named a squirrel after her. Oh, how cute is that? Last name or first name? Yep. Cool. Time now for our community section. Uh, so you guys can get us with your tweets. Use hashtag This Week in Marvel. You can get us on email at twimpodcast.marvel.com. And again, you can get us on the Facebook, facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. I was trying so hard to make you spit up. I almost spit my water all over the microphone. Oh. All right. Uh, first up, we've got Chris Burzeth says, listen to the latest This Week in Marvel. And speaking of annuals, the 1991 Spectacular Spider-Man annual was the first comic book I ever read. 
picked it up from a Rutgers gift shop on a camping trip with my family. Uh, yeah, we did an episode about annuals. Do you have a favorite annual from when you were younger? Uh, do, you do you remember when there were they were doing the X-Men annuals and they had trading cards in the back? They, we did a whole run. It wasn't just X-Men. It was, it was yeah, yeah. But I love those because I, I remember trying to get as many of the cards as I could. Mm -hmm. And it was a bummer, though, because I also didn't, <laughs> I couldn't open the books to flip through to see if I liked the art. So I was just blind buying these annuals. And I went back years later and bought them all. I don't know where they are now. They're in a box somewhere in my apartment. I'm trying, I'm looking at your apartment in my head. I'm like, there's, annuals are thick. And if you had a lot of them, they would take up a lot of space in your long box. As editor Darren Shan told me recently when he watched my cat while I was away, there is no wall in my apartment not touched by comics. <laughs> and he meant it as a slight. And now he's not watching my cat anymore. Yeah. Take that, Darren. You lost the right to see my cat. Stop being salty to Ricky. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Lance Presley says, the first comic I ever owned was the 1988 Uncanny X-Men annual. So I'll always have a special place in my heart for Evolutionary Wars and the Outback X-Men. <laughs> also, are we ever going to address the fact that Colossus has a kid in the Savage Land? He, I don't know anything. I don't remember this at all. He's a child there? I guess. Oh, man. What if, it, what if he grew up to be a character that we know? Like... Not Nightcrawler, because he's a contemporary of Colossus, but like... Moon Girl. Quentin Choir. Quentin Choir. Or Squirrel Girl. Or Miss Marvel. Ooh. There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of questions here. Yeah. Finally, Charis Pollard says, Got Fantastic Four number one, sneaked into my pull list this week by the local comic shop, was a bit annoyed, Aww. but then I read it. Nope. That's not me crying. Not at all. Oh, yeah. Um, it, and if you thought the first issue was a tearjerker, it gets crazier and crazier. <laughs> Every issue for at least the first seven. Yeah, get ready. It's it's great. It's great to have the Fantastic Four back. I didn't realize I missed them this much, and I super missed them. Yeah, when when it's on, it's on. Yep, it's yep. like you can't beat the Fantastic Four. Yeah. So good. Ricky, thanks so much for joining me this episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I hope you come back again. I'd more. like to. It's just one floor upstairs. I can go up the stairs. Yeah. So after we recorded this episode, we got some unfortunate news about the passing of two Marvel creators, Marie Severin and Gary Friedrich. Marie Severin was a pioneer in the comic book industry. Her creativity, artistry, and humor captured the imagination of fans around the world. Her iconic designs and concepts have and will continue to inspire artists and creators for years to come. The Marvel family mourns her loss, and we send our deepest condolences to her family and loved ones. As one of the first writers at Marvel, Gary Friedrich told stories that wove together both relatable and supernatural tales filled with intrigue and humor and heart. His imagination made an incredible impact on the industry, and Marvel will forever be grateful for his contributions. Our thoughts are with Gary's family and his loved ones, and the Marvel family mourns his passing. Uh, you can see some of their work on Marvel.com now. All right, that wraps up episode 357. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with another episode next week. I'm Ryan. I'm Ricky. And this is Marvel. Your universe.